Hello, this is Surviving Healthcare Podcast, and I have Shaher Khan, MD, the foremost plastic surgeon treating breast implant illness. He stands against his peers, the FDA, and the doctor organizations who all claim breast implants are harmless. He says the risks of breast augmentation, even with saline implants, far outweighs the benefits. He adds, quote, in view of the diseases they cause and worsen, they should all be banned. He has seen recovery from breast implant illness many times after his careful removal technique. When I performed this surgery, and I did thousands of them, I sang the party line like a parrot. Quote, breast implants are biologically inert. I also thought the symptoms were all in my patients' heads, but I was wrong about that. So, Dr. Can, please uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your origin story. Yes. Hello, everyone. A good warm welcome to all uh, the listeners. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Doc, and for you to share your journey uh, and your uh, expertise when it comes to uh, basically the the many surgeries that you have done. You know, this is my first uh, discussion with a surgeon who has put in implants where I am literally discussing with you, like we discussed, very respectfully and very definitively such that the patients benefit and enhance from our experience. So this is Dr. Shahar Khan. I'm a board certified plastic surgeon by the American Society of Plastic Surgeons. And my practice is exclusively devoted to removal of both saline and silicone breast implants. So I have a training uh, as a board certified general surgeon. That's five years of training. I did uh, then do the burns critical care training. That was a year-long process along with another year of burn research. Uh, so that was seven years. And following that, I did three years of uh, the plastic surgery training. So a total of 10 years post-medical school uh, training. And I will attest, uh, it was a lot of hours, almost 100 to 120 hours a week. This includes the physical time being spent at the hospital. And also afterwards, reading up and uh, basically completing the many tasks, such as reading exams amongst the others. Uh, and medicine and surgery specifically is a very challenging, both mentally, physically, and certainly uh, in every regards, uh, such that we can deliver excellence to our patients. So um, having said this, um, you know, my practice is exclusively devoted uh, to explantation. And um, uh, from the very beginning of time, when I finished my surgical training, I knew very early on, for example, when I was at the, the Yale uh, surgical training program, where I spent four years of my training, that the implants back then were banned. This is when you could get saline implants from 1992. Uh, that's when the ban occurred till 2007. I saw firsthand foremost the destructive and the detrimental nature of these breast implants, both silicone and saline. And when I was at the breast center, patient after patient, I saw and I heard and I physically saw the, the hurt that the patients were going through. And as we see, the breast implant illness is a unique uh, set of problems that afflicts and affects the patient in all aspects of the many different organ systems, the 14 different organ systems from the psych, depression, uh, suicidal ideations, anxiety, panic attacks, the migraines, uh, head and neck, tinnitus, visual problems, dryness of the eyes, uh, sinus problems, uh, throat, uh, thyroid, endocrine, endocrinological issues, you have patients with respiratory issues, cardiac issues, you have patients with GI issues, amongst others. 
and you have GI disturbances, uh, chemical sensitivities, the hallmark features, uh, which is basically uh, the rheumatological problems, connective tissue disorders. You have the patients with tingling, numbness in the arms and legs, amongst the many others uh, that we, you will see is the questionnaire that I give my patients to assess the severity of the illness. And as we know, textured implants have been banned. Um, you know, and I was just telling you a patient I was just talking to uh, from Tennessee. Uh, she had te she has textured implants. She is very much hurting, and she wants them out. And she has fluid around the implant. That in itself needs a very definitive workup, rather than naively going in and getting a biopsy because that could potentially be lymphoma or it could be a ruptured breast implant. So there's squamous cell cancers that are generated also. Is that correct? That is correct. So the FDA warning uh, came out and they said specifically that squamous cell cancer is one of the many cancers that are associated with breast implant illness. Also the BIA, which is the breast implant associated anaplastic large cell lymphoma that is directly associated with breast implants, specifically textured but then they went and mentioned others, which includes smooth silicone and smooth saline as well. Now, these are the cancers that have been highlighted by the FDA and they wanted to bring attention to the many plastic surgeons who are placing so that if they do see any suspicions, the, the patients need to be worked up for that. This list of symptoms brings to mind the orals uh, problems with root canals. And essentially this root canal thing becomes a dead foreign body that seeds bacteria to the rest of the body. And I don't, I don't think this is as severe or common as the oral problems, but it's in the same class of, uh, you know, foreign body problems, foreign body slash infectious problems. So this is a direct association. So the FDA said had the patients not had these implants, they would not have gotten the lymphoma or the squamous cell cancer. Now, if you look at the hard facts, you know, there are approximately 1,300 or so patients with BIALCL. The fact that France and the United States banned these implants is a big uh, attestation to the fact that there is clear direct association between implants and lymphoma, implants and squamous cell cancer, which is an interesting cancer because squamous cell is not what you would find around the implant, but it does indeed occur. And so these are directly what is called man-made cancer because of the implant. But the uh, the vast majority of the breast implant illness seems to be related to infectious or toxic or seeding phenomenon. Would you say that's true? That is correct. So, you know, if someone gets an infection, for example, you know, it will declare itself by cellulitis and infection pain, amongst others. Now, that is where the patients will get a pus pocket and inevitably it will surface to the top and the patient will seek medical, medical attention because they have had a temperature of 102 or 103. Now, these, this, these do occur around the time of surgery, but the vast majority of what is breast implant illness is essentially the leaching of the silicone, be it from silicone implants or even saline implants into the periphery. And these microscopic particles of silicone that branch off and leach from the intact saline implants, intact silicone, and certainly from the ruptured silicone implants, causing a tissue reaction, which is a chronic inflammation. And the body now in itself starts fighting this foreign body. And we see this in the pathology report where 100% of my patients, I mandate 
that the capsule that is removed is sent to pathology to rule out the BIALCL, which is the breast implant associated anaplastic large cell lymphoma, and also to rule out any malignancy, breast cancer, squamous cell cancer, or anything. And then I also send the cultures off for aerobic, anaerobic, and fungal so that we can have absolute confirmation and certainty that it was not a biofilm that sometimes forms around these implants, just like sometimes it does form around like a hip implant. And, they, and, and it has been shown that 10, 15% of my patients uh, have what is, for example, Propiobacterium akinis. This is a subtype of a bacterium that lives in the biofilm, and it's been shown that it just stays there and it does not cause the cellulitis. But this has been reported. A few uh, of my patients have had active fungal infections reported, and it does, we see that. And they were treated by infectious disease. For example, one patient ended up getting chronic IV uh, antifungal therapy. The other two, for example, the infectious disease doctor said that because the implant was removed and the whole capsule was removed, there was no residual fungal burden remaining behind. Hence, those two patients, for example, did not need the antifungal therapy. So these things are not generally as symptomatic as a regular cellulitis or abscess. They're almost they're asymptomatic. Of course, the implant has no sensory fibers, just like a dead tooth, you know, a mummified uh, root canal. Um, so explain the 100 hundred zero uh, technique that you feel is so important. So this is essentially the root and heart and gist of the whole explant surgery. The 100-100-0 rule, which basically means that 100% of the time, 100% of the capsule must be removed with 0% of the capsule remaining behind, preferably in the end block fashion, which basically means that the entire capsule that is encasing the implant, which is the scar tissue that the body mounts because of the foreign body within the chest, that in its entirety must be removed as one system, which is the end block. Now, if there is a break, even a millimeter into that capsule, then the word end block does not apply. And then what applies is the 100% total capsulectomy. Now, that is important because if someone has a rupture implant or God forbid lymphoma, which is remember very rare of rare, but underreported as clearly mentioned by the plastic surgery societies and FDA, you don't want this to leave. I have had patients where believe it or not, on the inside was infection all contained, just like someone has a ruptured appendix, the patient gets very sick and all of a sudden they mount a capsule all around the appendix that's ruptured. And now the patient three days, five days later feels good. Now they go to the doctor, get a CT scan and was indeed what was a ruptured now contained abscess, right? Uh, the body in itself does an amazing job protecting itself. But after some time, the burden from the silicon toxicity is so significant that the leaching affects even past the capsule. So now you find silicon within the lymph nodes and in the periphery. So going back to the 100-100-0 rule, that is the gist and heart and soul of what is explant surgery. And I mentioned that it is not only the implant, but the capsule and also the inflamed tissue in the periphery that is abnormal, looks abnormal, feels abnormal. And you know, when you're looking at inflamed fat, uh, with fat, with, for example, silicon particles or silicon granulomas, 
that needs to be removed because you want to leave all healthy, viable tissue behind. And that is the, anyone can remove an implant, but to remove an implant underneath the muscle, which is where majority of the implants are, to dissect off of the rib, which basically means the periosteum of the rib is removed, the perichondrium of the rib is removed, the fascia of the pectoralis minor, the fascia of the serratus anterior, and the fascia of the intercostal muscle is removed along with the implant and the capsule as one system. And that is truly the heart and soul and the essence of explant surgery. To translate this into layman's terms, there are layers back there uh, on the ribs and right next to the lungs, almost, uh, almost a you know, it's like a few millimeters away from the lungs themselves. The doctor can remove very painstakingly. I mean, I don't know how you do it. It's a magic trick. I never was able to, I, I ran, I removed the front of the capsule and that's easy compared to what he does. He removes the back of the capsule. And when the implants under the muscle, he's got to somehow get in there without leaving any bleeding. And how, what percent of the time do you leave a drain in? So the last time I used a drain was four years ago. Oh, that's incredible. I mean, it just goes to show this guy's expertise and his, his training and how meticulous he is. And, you know, very few people want to do this surgery because even though it seems expensive for the surgical time that he, he uses, it's, it's a bargain. I mean, it's just, it's a nightmare. Your average case, case length is over four hours, isn't it? I book every case for four hours. Uh, two weeks ago, I did a ruptured 800 cc implant on the left, ruptured 650. That was one of the longest that I've done. This is no lift, just explained seven hours approximately. And this is what it takes, whatever length of time. And I'll tell you, the, uh, the, the patients are understanding and thankful. And sometimes we call the patients, uh, you know, to basically you'd rather stay in your hotel room or at your home, uh, uh, you know, and not to come because of the, the nature of the, the extent of the surgery, which is definitely very taxing and very involved. Because remember, and Dr. Yoho, you will be able to understand this. I'm only making a horizontal incision right in the crease. And this is where I'm going into that horizontal space where I'm dissecting underneath the muscle. So it's not an up and down incision. I do not like to make my incisions directly on the breast tissue itself or on the nipple areola because then you are going to cut the nerves, the ducts. You're going to inevitably disrupt the breast tissue. And so that when the patient does their self-monthly breast exam or she does her mammogram, we don't want any fat necrosis, glandular tissue or scar tissue that may potentiate uh, a unnecessary biopsy or cushions, but maybe breast cancer. Because remember, the hard fact remains that one out of eight or nine women end up getting breast cancer. And we do not want to do any uh, irregularities to any tissue above the muscle because that is where the breast tissue is. And remember, in vast majority of the patients, the implants and capsules are put below the muscle. And that is the area where I'm dissecting. This is a, it's a, it's a magic trick. I mean, I can, I, I, I took implants out, but I never managed to get posterior capsules successfully. It's a, and I have, I took photographs from Dr. Can's social media that shows what an in block or total uh, implant with the scar removed intact looks like. And it's uh, it's, I mean, I just don't know how you did it. It's incredible. Um, tell the listeners about the way the symptoms vanish. I mean, most of the people who see you have, have all a whole host of these nonspecific symptoms, don't yes, they? So, and, 
Yeah. Yes, yes. So whenever I talk to any patient, and I do the talking from the beginning to the very end, because only I know, not my staff, not my PA, not my nurse, exactly what are the indications for proceeding with the surgery, because some of these patients are very sick. They may have lupus, for example. So what I do is I have them fill out a questionnaire. So just today, for example, I talked to a 34-year-old lady from South Dakota, and she has the symptoms. So I asked her, the brain fog is a very common symptom. Fatigue, by far, the most common symptom. You have problems with dryness of the eyes, for example. So I have her, the ladies, check out what are the symptoms. Now, you will see these are all the classic symptoms of what is breast implantalis because we don't have a lab diagnosis and we don't have a imaging diagnosis like an MRI or an ultrasound or a mammogram. And so it's a diagnosis of exclusion. And I tell the ladies, go to a primary care doctor, some ladies have not gone to a doctor, for example, or some have gone to all these subspecialists. Now, now that becomes even more of a convincing finger pointing towards what is breast implant illness till proven otherwise, because that's what the last lady, her symptoms were. Now you will see, and I say this to you and to all my listeners, don't listen to me. Listen to all the patients who are now coming forth on social media, and this is a social media phenomenon, where they're talking, when the surgery is done right, you will see the many ladies that basically improve on their symptoms right in the recovery as they're driving home. Their signboards are so much quote, high definition clarity uh, that their uh, eating habits have improved. For example, they don't have aversion to, for example, pizza or ice cream, which they could not touch before when they had implants. Their symptoms, the joint pain, neck and back pain has improved one after another. And you will see, you know, the celebrities, for example, uh, Danica Kirkpatrick and others who have successfully uh, explanted and the resolution of symptoms, weight loss, 12 pounds, 37 pounds. And you will hear the many ladies talk about it. They have nothing to gain except for their own good health and the good health of the others. And, you know, I want to mention and emphasize right now that I have no vested interest uh, from a disclosure perspective or from a financial perspective, other than the fact that you and I are here together to help our patients, to help them understand this disease better, and that we have only one motive, which is to spread awareness of breast implant illness and to uh, tell them that if they have all these symptoms that you're pointing out and that I pointed out to alluded to earlier on that questionnaire, that there is excellent relief. Now, none can be more highlighted by the fact than what the FDA says. And if I may take the next minute to emphasize, if you listen to the warning that they came out, with, uh, the FDA uh, in 2019, they mentioned uh, this, number one, the breast implants are not meant to be in the body forever. They last anywhere from 10 to 15 years. And I want everyone to fact check me and to basically whatever I'm saying, confirm and double check. So the FDA mentioned they're not meant to be in the body forever, 10 to 15 years. The second thing the FDA mentioned was that implants are directly associated with BILCL and that there have been, quote, deaths that have been reported because of the BILCL and others, meaning the smooth silicone and the smooth saline implants. And then the third thing that the FDA highlighted in their warning was the fact that this was the black uh, label warning. The third thing that they highlighted too, that there is indeed an entity called breast implant illness and that 
those patients that have rheumatological joint problems, uh, confusion, quote unquote, they have, quote, complete resolution, complete resolution of their symptoms when the implants are removed and not replaced. And this is what we see echo in and echo out again from the many patients who have explanted successfully. When did the black, it's a black box warning? Is that what it's called? Right. Yeah. So yeah. And when did that go on? So this was, uh, to, now remember the textured implants were banned and then they basically put out another warning uh, of the, uh, the black box warning. Uh, this was in 2019 where they basically brought forth what these three points were. These are very firm and fixed. And what I'm going to do is I will send it to you so you can basically, uh, or someone can just- I'll, I'll put it on, I'll put it on the, uh, the blog. So, you, you know, so these nonspecific symptoms, you know, you, you, you have a list, which I included also of probably 30 or 40 of these things, these universally remit within a few days to a few weeks, don't they? Right. Now, sometimes uh, they may take three months. Sometimes I would say 10% of the patients. Now, this is all anecdotal because ultimately in order to do a, and make a definitive scientific evidence you have to have an IRB approval, you have to have a questionnaire, and you have to follow the patients in a cohort, which means once before the surgery is done, you follow them, and then you follow them for a year. Now, you will see vast majority, over 90% of my patients seek relief from the many symptoms of breast implant illness. Now, remember, it takes some time to get to the level where the breast implant illness start afflicting the patients. And certainly, it does take some time for the resolution of the symptoms. And I say, wait a year. Now, majority of the patients seek benefit right away from right in the recovery room, sometimes a week later, sometimes three weeks later. But I'll tell you, I have heard this repeatedly from 99.999% of the patients. They wish they had done two things. Number one, they wish they had not put in implants. And number two, they wish they had removed the implants sooner so they would not have had to deal with this dilemma of what is breast implant illness. Now, I want to mention also you know, I presented at the World Congress. This is the largest plastic surgery conference in Dubai that I presented in the first week of May this year to a group of plastic surgeons who came from all over the world. They actually broke the world record of the maximum number of plastic surgeons attending a meeting and from all over. And I presented my data of a thousand explants that I have done, the 100-100-0 rule that you mentioned. I have mentioned the pathology reports because these are the questions that, you know, the plastic surgeons asked, why are you removing the capsule? And I showed, don't listen to me, look at the pathology report that in itself speaks volumes about the residual silica or the multinucleated giant cells, which are the macrophages, cleaner cells, the inflammatory cells of the body. The, the white cells that absorb the silicone and, and show up in the uh, microscopic examination, in other words. Thank you. Thank you very much. The foamy macrophages, these are the cells that are cleaning up the foreign body reaction. And I said, listen to the many other patients who got the explant, but the capsule was left behind. And then these patients came to me and I did what is a residual capsulectomy, which means that the capsule that remained behind, I removed. And that was the only task of the operation. Uh, on top of their rib, which is indeed the hardest. And lo and behold, you hear the patients one after another where they have had resolution of their symptoms. And so that residual capsule was key for their bounce back. And this is where the whole essence and heart of explant surgery is not only the implant, but the capsule plus the inflamed tissues removed and tested.
that's a nightmare surgery. So you have also seen diseases such as lupus and, lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, breast lumps, and even breast cancer improve or disappear. Now, we don't want to make any claims of cures, but I think you have anecdotes about that too. So I will tell you, this <clears> is, you know, I get this question asked a lot. I have Hashimoto's. Is my Hashimoto's going to clear? Now, I say millions of people have Hashimoto's and they don't have implants. So to say one cause the other is far, it's not real. It's not real. Some patients are predisposed to getting lupus. Now, if you look at, this is another paper um, uh, doc that I want you to put forth. This was the big study out of the annals of surgery out of Dr. Clement's team out of MD Anderson, the number one, number two cancer center of the world, if you ask me. And they did study 100,000 patients and out of a reputable organization and a reputable study. Now this has its own drawbacks. It's a study of studies and they compiled after 2007, all the studies that have been done in regards to breast implants, be it saline, that was 20,000 patients and 80,000 patients with silicone. And they concluded, this is all in the paper. And I want you to share this with, your, uh, with our listeners, with our viewers. They concluded patients who have implants were an increased risk of getting scleroderma, increased risk of getting rheumatoid arthritis, and increased risk of Sjogren's. Now, these are hard facts. This is not like a two times. No, these are real numbers. Now, if you want, what I'm going to do is I can actually read it out to you or the patients uh, can see for themselves because this is hard evidence. Now, we know this because back in 1992, it, were, it was the rheumatologists who brought up the scare and the worry that they were seeing all these patients with implants. Because remember, it's a rheumatological problem. They were seeing all these patients with these rheumatological problems because they had no rheumatoid arthritis. They had no scleroderma. And it was all these connective tissue disorders uh, that these patients were presenting with that mimic rheumatoid arthritis or scleroderma, but they never truly did have it because they didn't meet the criteria of diagnosis. So it was essentially a breast implant illness. And this is what we know it as such. And you will see the many patients themselves. And again, these are their attestations. The psoriasis that improves, the GI disturbances improves, the chemical sensitivities improve, the palpitations, heart irregularities improve, the neck and back pain improves, the migraines improve, the vertigo improves, the dryness of the eyes improve, they're able to taste better. Now, these are not my words. Now, what the FDA needs to do is they need to, sorry to use the word, wake up and be much more assertive. Now, I did call the FDA and I said to them, you know, you're concerned about these 14 patients that presented with squamous cell cancer why are you, and I was being sarcastic, and I talked to uh, Dr., uh, who's the second in command for implants. Um, she's an OBGYN, MD, PhD, uh, Dr. Corneliuson, uh, who basically specifically her name, she was super nice. And I said, why are you fixated on the squamous cell cancer part? Uh, just 14 patients, you have millions of patients, literally millions of patients who are, who are hurting from breast implant illness. You probably see this in the news every other day where a celebrity gets her implants out or the many of the patients, you know, in the Cosmopolitan magazine or in the news, the local news are now talking about it. And you see patient after patient who are benefiting from the explantation. So they, I told them, why are you being passive about it? Just like in 1992, you stepped up and you banned silicon implants. You should 
not only ban silicone, but you should ban saline implants because a lady that presents with saline implants, she will have the same set of problems that ladies with silicone implants uh, present, but you cannot determine what set of implants the ladies have. And I will tell you, she was like, well, they need to bring more of the awareness to us by filling in the website. Now, this was again, the typical bureaucratic technical approach where maybe years later now i will tell you it will get translated to another band hopefully a permanent band but these newer set of cohesive implants are not safer or not safe compared to the back in 1992 the non-cohesive implants it is essentially the same problem the silicon leaching that occurs from non-cohesive or the cohesive implants they're not meant to be in the body forever, and they do rupture. I just talked to a lady today. These are my patients that I talked to, one from Florida, one from uh, Virginia, one from South Dakota, and this last one from Tennessee. These are four patients I talked to, the phone consults this morning with. One of them had implants from 2017, and it shows a silent rupture on the right side. And I did uh, two cases, 2018. One three weeks ago where I did a Facebook live and then another one four weeks ago, I did a Facebook live and I want my the, the our viewers and listeners to join me on my private breast implant illness support group page and hear the patients directly. And you will see 2018 set of implants both ruptured to my surprise and to the patient's surprise. And this is where going back to again what the manufacturers are telling you. So let's hard fact again, mentor the number one manufacturer of breast implants. They do studies for rupture and please fill in doctor. They basically study till 10 years, 12 years. And then after that, they don't analyze the rate of rupture because it goes up exponentially. They themselves tell us in their brochure, if you have mentor implants, silicone, you should get a first MRI at year three. And then you get your second MRI at every two years there onward. So this is the hard evidence that they tell us in order to look for what is a silent rupture. Now I tell the ladies, don't wait for a rupture because now the silicon is going to leach out more because there is no shell that's protecting it. Remember, even with a saline implant that's intact, that's like a water balloon. If it does rupture, it's going to rupture and collapse like a water balloon. It will still continue to impart that silicon that's going to leach particles from the silicon shell of that saline implant. Same so with the silicon and same thing with the ruptured silicon morsel. And this has been shown by Dr. Henry Dykman out of the Netherlands. And we know this from the many patients who certainly were doing well. A typical example, a lady out of uh, you know, 33-year-old set of silicon implants. She lived for 20 years, 25 years heavily. Now, all of a sudden, she started having pain, a contracture. And she's like, I'm in so much pain, I want them out. I said, well, you lived through the 1992 ban and you could have gotten them out because there was a general consensus. You could certainly remove them. And the, 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 the manufacturers were apparently were footing the bill because there was a class action lawsuit. She said, now I'm really hurting. And lo and behold, she had a rupture. So some rupture soon, some rupture late. And eventually all will rupture. They're not meant to be in the body forever. And this is, again, what the FDA highlighted as point number one, that the patients are going to fact check. So the question becomes, do you want to wait for a silent rupture? Do you want to wait for a rupture? No, you get them out because they're only associated with badness. You're very convincing. And I thought this whole thing was a scam to sell more implants. <laughs> you know, can you imagine? 
Yeah. And the FDA is completely corrupted. They are working for the manufacturers and the drug companies and not for the patients. They don't care about patients at all. And calling for double blind placebo controlled or what controlled studies of any kind has become a ruse to delay and confound any objections. And the evidence here seems very clear. Have you now, let me just go back again. You have seen lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and breast lumps, and even cancer remit in the year following your uh, implantation or de-implantation procedure. Is no, that no, correct? So these, no, no. So these are very strong words that you use, like breast cancer is not going to remit. Now, there are patients. Uh, so I have not had a single patient with BIALCL, even though every single... Now, there's three patients that I can think of that specifically, deliberately, purposefully said, I do not care. Even if I have cancer, I'm not going to get treated for it. Now, I honored their... They were alert oriented times three. They basically did not just want to quote given to the big pharma. And they said, you know, we don't want to go through. One was a Canadian lady. She did not have insurance. And she's like, I just don't have the money to. I said, I, you know, one patient, believe it or not, I even paid for her because there was a significant concern that it might be pathologic or concerning. Now, the breast cancer is not going to remit. One patient had, for example, lately that I saw, she had a history of breast cancer and it came out in the capsule breast cancer. So the breast cancer is not going to remit. Or uh, now the, the I have seen improvements of the symptoms. Now, if you can imagine, if you have patients that present with rheumatoid arthritis. Now, this is another big problem, unfortunately. I have had a patient that had Crohn's disease and she went to a plastic surgeon who put in implants. That's malpractice. She should not have gotten implants. Believe it or not, a patient with cystic fibrosis, one of the board-certified plastic surgeons right here in town uh, put in implants. That is malpractice. So someone has remembered that FDA tells you if you have a rheumatological underlying autoimmune problem, do not get implants, period. That's a contraindication. So if someone has scleroderma, you should not be getting implants. If you have diabetes, you should not be getting implants because they tell you if you have a compromised immune system, quote unquote, you should not be getting. So now those patients that have underlying rheumatoid arthritis, I have taken care of patients. Post-op, they called me up three months later and it's like, doc, I'm exactly as is. I said, you know what? I can guarantee you one thing. Your entire capsule is out, the 100-100-0 rule. I guarantee you one thing. All what I saw, abnormal, inflamed, and irregular, and did not look right, I removed. Even if it meant it was going to cause your aesthetics to be compromised, right? Because remember, some people have grade four capsular contracture with a rupture. And sometimes, now remember, the whole purpose is essential surgery, non-cosmetic in nature right in the middle of COVID when everything was shut down. This is when patients with appendicitis were being cooled down with antibiotics. Uh -huh. Patients, you, you heard these stories, right? I didn't hear, I didn't hear about that, but I, yeah, I no, heard. But this is, yeah. yeah, is they were like, you're, you're high risk, you know, and we will, this is what they do in Europe, right? Yeah. If someone has appendicitis, uh, you know, now the treatment is, uh, the aggressive and the right treatment is a resection, but this is what I've heard. Uh, patients with rotator cuff tears, for example, they were told live with that because we don't want to take you for what is uh, elective non-essential surgery. People were torn ACLs, for example, right? But I was able to at nine o'clock in the morning on a May morning when the whole hospital was shut down, I was doing explants on the patients because the hospital saw firsthand that these are essential surgeries because I'm not replacing them. I've only put in one set of implants. And the point I'm trying to make here is 
these patients who have had underlying issues, some of them symptoms have improved, some of them have stayed the same, and there is no studies. It's only anecdotal feedback from the few. Now, I don't and I do not touch base with my patients a year out and I make documentation or objective. This is where you were before and this is where you are after. But to conclude that the cancer is going to go away or the rheumatoid arthritis is going to improve is wrong information. And I only tell the patients, at least you got the implants out of the way. The many other ladies, literally hundreds of thousands who have explanted and who have sought resolution of their joint pain, tingling numbness, their GI disturbances, these other rheumatological problems disappear. You can only imagine those patients with underlying rheumatoid arthritis and, uh, for example, the lupus, how their symptoms have improved because you're also taking away. For some patients, it might not be much. For some patients, it might be too much. Now, there are patients, for example, that have had a rupture, and now the silicon is seen in a lymph node biopsy from the axilla despite from the armpit it's a distant from where the original implant in other words yeah. just reiterate what b-i-l-i-l is what was it the breast implant associated anaplastic large cell lymphoma which is okay got it Direct association of this lymphoma because of breast implants right. meaning patient did not have implants, she would not have gotten this lymphoma. One of the cancers that uh, the uh, silicone gel implants creates. Right. And it is yeah. specifically picked up by a CD30 analysis. And this is what I tell my patients, the pathologist, that please do a CD30 analysis, because if it's not done, we will not be able to conclude if this was truly indeed BIA. And, and that's a tissue analysis that's done by the pathologist, not a blood test. So yeah. this is yeah. So this is where the the patients seek that confirmation that it is not the BILCL, it's not the lymphoma cancer, and there is resolution. Remember the third point I mentioned with the FDA. They mentioned that they have complete resolution. Now I'm going to go ahead and it's so important. I think it is important for me. I'm actually going to go to my cell phone and I'm going to just literally say it out loud verbatim because you know don't listen to me. FDA warning breast implant illness, and I'm just going to read it out so that you have seen it. All right. So here it is. That's fine. Quote, breast implants are not considered lifetime devices, period. The longer people have them, comma, the greater the chances are that they will develop complications, some of which will require more surgery, period. Breast implants have been associated with the development of a cancer of the immune system called breast implant-associated anaplastic large cell lymphoma, BIALCL. This cancer occurs more commonly in patients with textured breast implants than smooth implants, comma, although rates are not well-defined, period. Some patients have died from BIALCL, period. Point number three, quote, Patients receiving breast implants have reported a variety of systemic symptoms such as joint pain, muscle aches, confusion, chronic fatigue, autoimmune diseases, and others, period. Individual patient risk for developing these symptoms has not been well-established, period. Some patients report complete resolution of symptoms when the implants are removed without replacement, period, close quotes. Now, this is huge. So you can only imagine, to answer your questions, these joint problems, fatigue, malaise, muscle aches, confusion. This is like your rheumatoid patient, right? You can imagine if this is a patient who does not have rheumatoid arthritis, she's improving. You can imagine what component of it and the equation was rheumatoid and how much was the implants. At least if you do. Now, some patients, believe it or not, they remove 
they, they mentioned that some of their symptoms have improved, but they said, remember, this is all anecdotal. You know, anecdote is what we have left after the, all these studies have been ruined by the by the uh, corporates. I, um, so, you know, I'm almost without uh, words, but you've had one of the interesting things is I don't think you've had a lot of pushback from your colleagues and professional organizations. And my theory is that they know that they are doing problematic surgery and they understand they need people like you to clean up after them. And few people are willing to do it, this work, because it's so difficult. The most amazing hat trick I've seen out of you is when the gel is ruptured and you can remove the capsule in block without ever getting into the into the dirty silicone inside the, the scar. And you can do that, too. You know, and I will tell you, that is the, a pure challenge. And I'll tell oh, you. Oh, that sounds awful. Yeah, no, it, I will tell you, it's not easy. Um, I have had... Uh, for example, I work um, with a surgeon who uh, is senior, skilled, I would say the top three plastic surgeons. He's my mentor. You know, uh, he once came into the OR and I was doing the surgery. And like I said to you, he said, this is uh, very, very tedious. And I said, you bet, because one bad move of the bovi, you will cut into the capsule. And now the bovi is a cautery that burns the little blood vessels. And so again, this is, uh, and you're standing all this time. And not only that, if I may mention, you're looking down and turning your head because remember you're operating in a horizontal incision underneath the muscle. So it's very hard for the shoulder, neck and back. Um, and you know, it's like you ran a full marathon at the end of the day. And, you know, I take my time and I dissect and, you know, there was once a time where I was and remember surgery is all a mental game. Once I was not there because uh you know i was not able to give i told my patients i'm sorry i am my assistant is too tired i cannot operate today we're going to add you on the next day or i told the patient i'm not i don't have the mental clarity i this is around COVID time and i said i'm going to get basically canceled my surgery uh for tuesday and i'm going to go ahead and reschedule you because remember going into the surgery it's all about that piece and where you zone off into that phase where you're literally just the flow on, the flow yeah the flow the flow and you know it comes and i enjoy it you know it's sometimes i don't want to use the word it's a masochist right where you kind of enjoy <laughs> you know but it is in that level it's an it's a it's a young man's game and it's athleticism really helps yeah yeah i know absolutely that's so true <laughs> no no please ask me let me ask you a few questions now, when did you realize as a, you know, having how many augmentations do you think you have done? Well, I mainly did tubas, right, with salines. And that was very easy procedure. Sometimes both sides only took 10 minutes and they, the accuracy was excellent. They had almost no hematomas because any bleeding got ejected through the umbilicus and it resulted in abdominal bruising. So I may have done 2000, uh, you know, and I'm, I did more liposuction. I did 800 facelifts or something like that. So that, and I did blepharoplasties, but, mm. um, you know, I ruined my shoulders with liposuction. I got two shoulder replacements last year. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you gotta, there's a limit on what you can take physically. And I hope you're doing yoga or something like that. <laughs> you know, it is definitely very challenging. Now, when did you realize that the best implants were not safe? Uh, they were harming the patients. You know, I've been tracking this down because I have someone who's close to me who has a problem. And I got involved in looking at dentists and foreign bodies in the mouth. 
And those stories are even more horrifying than yours. I mean, those root canals are pathological. They should never be done ever. And they should be removed if you have them because they're universally infected. So I, you know, this person has, uh, you know, grade four capsules probably, and uh, no claims to have no symptoms, but uh, has health compromise. So I, I, I'm interested in that. And uh, I, I think we'll come up and uh, see you but she has some mouth problems first. And the rule of thumb is mouth first, you know, because those are chronically infected and you don't want to operate when the mouth is seeding nasty bugs everywhere in the body. Uh, you don't want to operate on your nice and produce a nice clean, uh, uh, you know, result for your breast dog removal and then get that seeded. So, so people come to Michigan from all over the world to see you. How many countries so I will tell you, I'm blessed and honored. You know, I could never imagine in my wildest dreams that this is what my practice would come out to. I get this question asked a lot, like how, how, you know, where did you, uh, you know, how did you start this? Now I'll tell you when I started, this is what they told us, you know, in plastic surgery fellowship training, you know, augmentations are, you know, breast surgery is the jewel of plastic surgery everyone goes into half of the plastic surgeons devotes exclusively to, uh, you know, basically breast reconstruction, you know, be it cancer or majority of the cases cosmetic, because that is essentially cash paying. I knew very early on, I was not going to do something. And I did that one case on a patient. Uh, she was a cancer patient so that she, I could get board certified so I could do, but I chose deliberately purposefully not to augment because I did not want to hurt. And I saw my patients that I operated on as a fellow and that they were certainly very much hurting. So when I did start, I did, you know, a lot of face, leg, you know, basically, uh, you know, reconstruction, for example, uh, meaning as far as skin cancer, for example, the face, um, you know, leg reconstruction using integral artificial skin, a lot of burn patients, for example, hand uh, reconstruction, that is a lot more trickier than explantation, if you ask me. And then, so then I basically, the same patients that would then come to me and say, I want a replacement of my implants because they're ruptures. I told them that I am only going to remove. I'm not going to replace. And so the few patients, then I started hearing more and more of this, uh, you know, breast implant illness in social media. Now I am the last person who would go on Facebook, social media, TikTok, Instagram. I never had even an account. I don't even go on it. Now, one of my patients, all of a sudden, she came from Phoenix. She basically said, I'm going to start a Facebook page. I said, you take it. I'm not going to even manage it because I didn't even have an account. And she from Arizona, she was basically running the whole thing. She would bring on guests and uh, she would run and make sure that it would run smoothly. Now, all of a sudden, we have almost 10,000 uh, you know, followers. So just last week, for example, I've had uh, a patient from New Zealand. I have had a patient from Egypt, uh, from the Dominican, from, uh, you, know, uh, you know, literally all over from Qatar, you know. And again, these are patients that come to me from all walks of life, from all over, primarily the U.S. and Canada, Mexico. You have uh, patients literally from the United Kingdom. She's coming. Um, you know, I talked to her like three weeks ago. Uh, there are a lot of patients because of COVID that could not come, but I'm blessed to connect with them, to educate them, to ask them of their patients that, you know, the patients, your surgeon must send the capsules off to pathology because if it's not sent, it's not tested for the CD30 analysis. 
you must have cultures. Your surgeon must be absolutely fixated and removing the whole capsule because you don't want to be like that patient who's going to have residual capsules. And now you're seeking another surgeon expertise. Some patients, believe it or not, have had some silicone rupture already into their chest. And no matter how much you clean, it's already dissipated into the rest of their body. You know, there are uh, reports uh, by Dr. Atul Mehta, who is the chief or head of pulmonology at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, the number one heart and lung institute, who I interviewed as a guest, who uh, wrote uh, a case report of a lady with saline implants, and she had seeded that silicone that leached through into her lungs because he's a transplant uh, pulmonologist, and he noted that via electron microscopy and energy dispersive x-rays, there was indeed silicon particles within the lung tissue itself that was sent to the lab. And there are patients, uh, you know, uh, that if you look at Dr. Henry Dykeman, who did uh, biopsies of the, the spleen, for example, and other nervous tissue that he documented clearly, again, by electron microscopy and energy dispersive x-rays, the silicon particles that had embedded around the nerves causing the silicon toxicity. And um, the point here is silicon is bad. It was bad in 1990s and 80s, but that led to the ban. It is continuing to be banned. Uh, it, sorry, it's continuing to be bad, regardless, uh, you know, if it's cohesive or not, and it should be banned. And this is what I was trying to say. The implants only hurt the body. No one walks into my clinic and says, my implants are making me think better clearly their implants are not making my back better or I can jump higher and faster or run faster. The implants only cause hurt. They rupture. They're associated with lymphoma. They're associated with the badness, the confusion, all these. Many of the patients are afraid to getting mammograms and now breast cancer is indeed being missed because they cannot get a self-monthly breast exam. Like you mentioned, the grade four capsular contracture, the hurt uh, from the capsular contracture in itself, plus uh, the the fact that you know the patients are not able to get mammograms and it basically masks what is the breast cancer, um, and you know there are malpositions. How many ladies have implants that keep rotating and turning? Uh, you know reconstruction uh, with alloderm, for example, uh, in the breast cancer patients after some time uh, that has been shown that sometimes compromises further reconstruction amongst many. Alloderm is human material. Right, cadaver yeah. material, yeah, he, yeah, yeah he which skin. has been processed and supposedly is benign, but isn't. Yeah, it is it's still a foreign body at the yeah. end of the. Day. Yeah. You, you know, you reassured me about my cheek implants, which you can see the outline of there. But I think I'm going to get them taken out, <laughs> even see, at the, 69. I know. Yeah, yeah go so ahead. My my mention is I have removed calf implants. I have removed chin implants. You remember, there are many other types of silicon implants, like the pec implants, or in your case, the cheek. That's a different material. It is relatively hard. It is not the fluid type cohesive uh, silicon implants, but still a foreign body, you know, um, and the, the body in itself will react to. Look, well, I brought in one of the cardiologists who referred a patient to me during COVID, and she was told by her cardiologist that you need to get the implants out because that's your root underlying cause of the problem. And I was very surprised. So I, to the point where I told the cardiologist, you're my next Facebook live. Uh, <laughs> guest. So he told me he took care of a patient once who had a hip implant and that metal coat that was in this patient ended up leaching copper 
and the patient ended up getting copper toxicity and uh, uh, a, a basically a pericardial fluid, which is fluid around the heart. And it turned out that was the root cause of the problem. So these implants, uh, you know, in general, you know, again, they are stringently approved by the FDA, like the pacemakers, their batteries were dying sooner, they were giving out. So there was quite a recall on those pacemakers. So the point I'm trying to make is implants are not safe devices, especially silicon, where they have a track record of badness, the ban, right? And we hear now the patients, and ultimately, it's only a matter of time, if you mark my words, before the FDA is going to step up and ban these, hopefully very soon. We'll see. We're, we're hoping they step up and do something. So briefly address the toxic metals contained in the silicone gel. So all what needs to do is look at the composition of the silicon implant. If you just go to Google and type in, you will see platinum, other many, many heavy metals that are the composition and makeup of what is silicon. Remember silicon- Mercury and aluminum? Yes. So silicon dioxide, for example, this is essentially sand, but you have all these heavy metals that continue to leach and cause all the disturbances that we know of what is breast implant. And so that's why it's imperative that not only the implant, but also the capsule and the tissue in the periphery is removed. Well, you mentioned the currents. There are well-established galvanic or uh, battery type effects that occur between uh, metals in your body. So if you have spinal metals and you have mercury fillings in your teeth, it can force the mercury fillings to activate and release mercury faster than it would already because of the battery kind of effects and the current, the, um, the, the differential between the two metals has been measured intraoperatively in some cases, you know, between a knee implant and between your mouth, for example. So it, these are things that we don't know a lot about. I've, I've had a recent podcast with Scott Schroeder, who has spent, he has removed about 800 of uh, metal items from people's bodies and has recommended they get all their uh, mercury amalgams replaced with composites. And he's seen amazing uh, stories about improvements. Mm -hmm. So... Well, I do not have much experience with that, but I will tell you my personal experience, for example, you know, this was back when I was an undergrad at UT Austin, you know, I used to wear frames that were metal. So one day, all of a sudden, I started having like a reaction. And lo and behold, I was like, maybe these are too tight. So I would loosen them and they would keep falling off. So one day I said, you know what, I went to the lens crafters and the lady said to me, all of a sudden, now Nickel. you have. A nickel sensitivity. Yeah, 20% of everyone has that at least. Yeah, now I will tell you, it was, I said, I have been living like this my whole life. Now I will tell you, it might be an acquired, just like with latex, for example, it's an acquired allergy, right? When you expose the body, 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 after some time, uh, the body in itself will start reacting to it. Now, I do not know, like what you mentioned, I do not have much experience with that, but I know for a fact that 110 billion percent the implants are bad trust me i would be putting an implants in 10 minutes like you were you know because that is a lot uh, you can blindfold me and i could do it you follow uh you yeah, know and i'm exaggerating uh, but the point i'm trying to make here is the implants only cause hurt you know i'm i have a, a, a connection with the 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 patient's the, because they see firsthand, and I'm very transparent, the, the many benefits of explanting 
and 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 like you mentioned, you know, you know, I talked to a friend of mine who's a very nice plastic surgeon, good at heart. He goes to the missions. I asked him why you're putting an implant because you know. He said, well, if I don't, someone has to, and I have to make a living. Now, look, nowadays, many people are doing a lot of things and they themselves, you know, let's look at the fact you go to the hospital, the hospital is, I have to say, I'm absolutely very much disturbed whenever I walk in and see what type of business transactions that they have with the patients, be it the emergency room, unnecessary billing, surprise billing, unnecessary procedures, unnecessary stints. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic or being a, a critic. I'm telling you as reality. I'm not trying to be the bad guy. You ask any nurse, you ask any doctor genuinely from their heart, they will tell you stories that will only continue to shock you. And we know of that in the real world. And this is where it is not fair for the patient, where money comes first, or the, the procedure comes first, because that's the protocol. No, implants, Look how, for example, a patient who gets breast cancer, 72, she's told you need implants. I'll tell you, you're putting in 650 cc implants on a 72-year-old lady who cannot even stand up straight. That is malpractice because she's got osteoporosis, God forbid, other problems. You know, and now you're basically uh, putting a burden on her that will only hurt her. You know, just from the weight alone, forget all the other badness that we talked about, right? So there are many, you know, and all ultimately it is not, a, it's not sound, it is not fair, it's not right for patients to get implants, be it for cosmetic reasons, or be it for oncologic cancer reasons. And ultimately, the hurt will come sooner or later. And this is not a wise move on behalf of the patients and certainly on behalf of the plastic surgeons to be putting in implants that we know of only hurt and cause harm. Well, I'm going to send you a copy of my book, Butchered by Healthcare, which is about the, the things you discuss. And the hospitals are the worst. They're about 40% of the total medical $4 trillion spent in the United States, and they are ruthless with their billing and their their practices, and it's gotten worse during COVID, which we can get into. But I want to, before I let you have the final word, I want to apologize to my breast implant patients, because after what I read and considered, I've concluded Dr. Can is right, and I am wrong. In my defense, my peers and professional organizations all supported breast implant surgery, and I, I could only do what I understood then. I still believe that the through the umbilicus saline implants I used were the safest ones offered, but I don't think I would do them now. Um, so uh, thank you, Dr. Khan. And uh, what last uh, words do you have for us? No, no, thank you very much, you know, for sharing your experience, your journey, and, you know, your expertise in regards to what you just mentioned. It takes a humble man such as yourself to say what you just did. And, you know, we're always learning. You know, I say this to the medical community. Uh, you know, I see, and I will end with this. What I'm amazed by is the fact that I have had patients, my own patients, who went to reputable top-notch, top 50, top 20 uh, hospitals in the country. And their plastic surgeons were telling them, you need to replace, for example, let me use this nice lady from Tennessee that I just talked to. Get your implants removed, get them replaced, and this time we'll put the 2023 version in because it's time for a change. Do no harm. That is the name of the book that I'm going to write. Do no harm. Do not do something that will only end up inevitably hurting the patient. 100%. It's just a matter of time. The general practitioners, 
if you ask them about implants, they are, well, they're safe because everyone has them. The rheumatologists, for example, they will likewise say, well, they're safe because they themselves, if you ask them, they have never touched an implant in their life. Maybe they, when they were med students. So they don't understand the disease itself. We as plastic surgeons see it firsthand because we see the ruptured silicone. We see the pathology reports. And most importantly, we see the patients who are now talking to another from one country to another, from one system, from one uh, sharing their experiences of an explant. When done right, they seek the benefits that I just read out loud, you know, the, the complete resolution, right? That is not a word. Each word was specifically chosen very carefully. And the point I'm trying to make here is there's four groups in this whole process. You got the plastic surgeons who are not talking much because this is their bread and butter. Remember, this is the jewel of plastic surgery. Number two, you got the medical community, the emergency room doctor, the, the rheumatologist, primary care, family medicine doctor. They are not aware as to what is truly breast. If you're asking me about a cardiology you know, AV node block, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to say, read an EKG. I'm going to say, I have no idea because I'm not a cardiologist, right? Number three, you have the manufacturers. They're laughing themselves to the bank. For example, they're benefiting. It's a business. They're selling implants. And number four, you have the patients. Uh, you know, you have the patients in a sense that they're hurting, they're talking, and they're seeing the detrimental effects. Now, in all of this, you got a governing body, which is the FDA. FDA is overlooking and it's kind of like the referee. And they're basically not playing it fair because you now have, if you look at the FDA complaints, 350,000 complaints the last time I checked. That's not a small number. That's a huge number. What else are you looking for in order to raise awareness? And they need to step up. And this is what they did last time. We're going to put a ban to silicone implants, to saline implants too. And let's just get the data together and let's hear and see. Because it's not fair, be it an American or non-American, that they be hurting from a set of devices that clearly and convincingly show the badness. If I told you here in Detroit, we sell cars. Here's a car that will give you cancer that might just stall on you in the middle of the highway. Here's a car is going to give you electrical problems, the numbness, tingling numbness. It might rupture. The, the, the tires may just rupture while you're driving, for example. And the car itself will start, you know, malfunctioning, right? That's the malalignment, malpositioning. And if you have uh, all the bad effects of what is uh, you know, the implant, you basically uh, analyze basically analyze and say, you know what, I'm making an analogy to a car. That car even will not last a second in the real market, right? How are unless it it's unless it's a Tesla. Tesla <laughs> just puts this big blast of Wi-Fi into your abdomen. And so that that's problematic over a long period of time, but very few people recognize it. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, but the point here is, you know, here's a mountain of evidence and the evidence is out there. You know, I basically, and I tell the world and everyone to listen to not me, listen to the FDA, listen to the manufacturers themselves, and listen to most importantly, the patients. And you will see clearly the patients will ultimately be the winners. But unfortunately, it's going to take another second ban and some more time before the FDA will inevitably be forced into putting another ban, hopefully a permanent ban next time. 
well, with all the bad things and the backflips the FDA has done with the COVID vax, I don't, I don't hold out a lot of hope, but uh, people like you are trying to clean up the mess. And I, I deeply appreciate your time today. No, no, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, it was a pleasure to talk to you and to have a discussion with another surgeon, you know, who has had a lot of experience. Yeah, with, you know, four aspects. years of postgraduate training, you had 10, right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, thanks. I'll sign off. Thank you so much, Dr. Khan. Well, take care. Bye. Bye.